0: your level of resilience at this present time? How are you bearing the weight of the pandemic, the economy, political situation, and all the other daily challenges that typically touch everyone's lives in a good year? Hello, everyone. This is Boom Talk Media. And I'm Bibi Peters with Dr. Andrea Gould, my co host. And we're coming to you from the sunny and, at last, a bit cooler Tucson, Arizona. Hello, Dr. Andrea. Do we not have a most special program today? I'm so excited to hear our guest speak.
1: What a knowledgeable individual we have before us. And today's conversation is about his specialty, which is collective trauma. Part one of it is recognizing it in ourselves first, understanding and defining what it is because it's a phrase we're hearing more and more often. And so because of the complexity of the state of affairs, we have invited Dr. Michael Marks to this conversation. He has dedicated his career to working with trauma survivors of all ages, both military and civilian for the last 40 years.
0: We asked Dr. Marks to sit with us and speak of his experience with trauma and what we all can learn from his story, his knowledge and his guidance for establishing a healing path. Welcome Dr. Marks. We asked Dr. Marks to sit with us and speak of his experience with trauma and what we all can learn from his story, his knowledge, and his guidance for establishing a healing path. Welcome, Dr. Marks.
2: Good morning, ladies. We invited
1: you because the term collective trauma describes the state of being so pervasive from, for so many of us right now, of course, the collective. We want you to talk about how to recognize it within ourselves, maybe our families and our neighborhoods, and how we can begin to learn how to move towards transforming the doubt and detachment and mistrust and begin to become more hopeful.
0: Okay, Dr. Marks, let's start Let's start, if we may, not a small little task, right? No, okay, let's start with a definition of trauma, and then we can better understand collective trauma. Tell us, please.
2: Well, trauma in general is an internal response to either individually or collectively to a situation that overwhelms us, and that's psychologically, neurobiologically, it it, it just overwhelms us. And so when that level of stress hits us, uh, one of the things the body does, and the mind does, is it withdraws from it, or in my world, it's called we disassociate. And that's seen in, in individual trauma, combat, car wrecks, natural disasters, People just disassociate from kind of what's going on. So, so, it's in a sense a kind of avoidance. And so, when the whole, as I used to say to veterans, combat veterans, especially, you know, um, our immune system will shut down when we're incredibly stressed. Because, from the body's point of view, why do I need to worry about bugs? And viruses, when I got bullets coming at me, oh God! Um, so we we get affected on all those kinds of levels, and and there are authors that talk about those kinds of things stay stuck inside of us if we don't deal with them. And the the sad part, both individually and collectively, trauma in in a diagnostic sense covers three kind of umbrella symptoms. One is uh, re-experiencing. Those are the intrusive memories or nightmares or what people call flashbacks and those kinds of things. So it's, it's the re-experiencing them. The other symptom cluster is arousal. So heavy breathing, we get changes in our n- neurobiology. Uh, when we think about those kinds of events. And these things can trigger one another. The last one is avoidance, okay? It's like, I don't wanna deal with this. And actually, both from a individual treating people, but also collectively, it's the hardest thing to change. So let me give you an example first, (laughs) okay? You just raised your hand, Dr. Gould, okay? So, think about anything you want to think about right now. Have any thought, any emotion. Think about anything you want, okay? But don't think about your right hand. Don't think about it. Think about anything else. What are you thinking about?
1: Your right hand.
2: Your right hand.
1: You're struggling so, to think about something else, but.
2: Right. You know, <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day, and he was going, I'm thinking about my nachos right here, I said, (laughs) right, and you had to go, don't think about your right hand, think about your nachos, right, so the thought was, yeah, okay, so the avoidance, and this happens both individually and collectively, where we really want to avoid dealing with how we've been impacted by whatever the trauma is, okay, Um, I just got off the phone with a guy, uh, a combat veteran, and we were talking about his wounding, being wounded by what happened to him. He also has physical wounds. But being, he's at a place now where he can embrace the idea that he's been wounded by what he experienced. And doesn't have to be ashamed of it, doesn't have to blame anybody, doesn't have to do any of those things, but can really... uh, and he said it I acknowledge I've been wounded by what I went through and it's like great yes Dr. Gould
1: <laughs> and that's why um, I think the avoidance piece um, is so so interesting because you said it you know it's connected to shame very often Mm -hmm. certainly we don't want to experience the pain but for instance to be diagnosed sometimes with a disease makes the person feel that they're responsible that they shouldn't feel that you know that this shouldn't have happened and then of course the shame of it so i guess i just want to clarify that there are so many other emotions that are attached to avoidance and then um It seems to me that if more than one of us is in avoidance, then we're also separating from the thing that scared us.
0: And I wanted to add that avoidance to me is sort of like a dual level perspective in that I personally want to avoid a lot of the news uh because that wears on me i want to stay up to date but i want to avoid that but if i was caused pain i would imagine and dr Marks, you can concur um that uh i want to i I want to understand that pain more i want to not relive it but i want to be aware of it in such a way that i can move it past me
2: sure sure and i think uh um... I mean there's a number of different levels I suppose I could respond to in that is to your point Dr. Gould is yes there's shame there's guilt there's fear uh, there's terror there's a sense of helplessness all these things get get are in there Um, you know avoidance is you know it's not necessarily that you need to, okay, watch 24 seven know, news cycle over and over and over again, okay? The issue even in treating uh, any trauma is not, it's not necessarily reliving everything, it's acknowledging everything, okay? Which is a whole, a whole different mindset um, that then watching the news, not watching the news, actually becomes a choice.
1: I I think that um, it sounds like we're changing the way we relate to the trauma, that you're suggesting that if we change our relationship to it, our understanding of it, or any one of a number of ways of relating to it, that that might be a beginning, It, it starts with a little bit of distance, but that doesn't distance doesn't mean avoidance.
2: Right. It, it's in. A, the paradox is it's by owning and acknowledging the distance, then, then it becomes less distance. I'm doing distance. You're doing distance. Everybody's doing this. We're isolated. Okay. Um, it's when we can say that out loud individually and collectively that then we start the start the road to healing.
1: We're interested in the road to healing, for sure.
2: Well, and that's, how do I want to say this? Unfortunately, that can be its its own trap. Um, you know, we want to, we have this crisis and our worlds have been turned upside down and we don't want to, we don't want to hang out in that space, if you will. We don't really want to pick it apart and see what that's about. What has worked, what hasn't? What do we take forward? What do we get rid of? What different perspectives do we change uh, or not change? We don't want to hang out there. We want to get to the new normal, whatever that is. And that becomes, uh, in my experience, its own kind of avoidance. I can think of, I just, again, had this conversation, Uh, fathers of my generation, World War II veterans, you know, that I've dealt with over the years, they, those with PTSD said, man, I had the best cover of all, you know, I worked hard, I rebuilt America, the world paid me off for that, and and we all got to avoid, and for World War II veterans, especially 9-11 happened, and their world literally and otherwise came crumbling down. They had to re-examine everything because they really hadn't stopped to go, you know, beyond winning the war and all those kinds of things is, I was profoundly impacted by this experience. I got hurt by it. There's a famous, um, oh gosh, Pablo Neruda, I can't. The poet. Right, Right, The the poet, he said, you know, at least in the, in the veteran world, you know, there are, there are no soldiers who go unwounded. Okay. Everybody gets changed by it. And I deal with veterans all the time about this. Well, you know, those that died, they gave the ultimate sacrifice. Mine wasn't quite that bad, but it's, that's not the point. It's acknowledging I got wounded by this. I got changed by this.
1: I I really uh, like that perspective on it because you you take something like 9-11, right? I lived 20 miles from the epicenter. You lived in Montana at that time. Barbara was living in Seattle at that time. The perspective that we had is not the same. And yet the ultimate meaning of that traumatic event for our country, if our country was a body, began to become, because of our communication with one another, began to become more and more similar until a story arose out of it on a united national level, let's say, at at some point, right? right? So I think moving from the understanding of collective trauma and the unique differences among people, you know how that gets how that gets worked through is meaning a part of it, or is that the last part of it? Um, Making sense of it.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, I don't want to say it's the end of it, but it's a big part towards the process of getting there, giving individual meaning to events. And so you, for example, mentioned 9-11. Your experience was much different than mine. I mean, I'm hanging out in Missoula Montana, and uh, you know, somewhere back here in my amygdala, my fight or flight response is, oh God, you know, Missoula Montana's next. Now somebody somebody in New York is gonna go, you gotta be kidding me, but there is that visceral, okay. And then, uh, so I have to give individual meaning to it, uh, but then there's the collective meaning and and how are we going to uh, do that in a a healthy way?
1: Yeah, how are we gonna do that? You know, you just reminded me, I was standing at the Grand Canyon this past summer, and I smelled a smell that smelled like 9-11. And my whole body <laughs> changed and There I am at the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. couldn't be further away. Mm-hmm. And yet there was the, the burning from the fires in California and Arizona. That was the burning of material that tr- that was a trigger. Right. So, it's in our body. That part never goes away. Right. But the process of making meaning, does that have to do with sharing conversation? How do we make meaning in collective trauma?
2: Yeah, it's having those uh, conversations of how did you get impacted by this? How did you and not? and being able to empathize with that? So that you can, for example, empathize with me being in Montana, that I would feel the same fear, the same concern. Uh, um, you know, I had we collectively shared a common experience. Somebody attacked us. Okay. As, a nation. All, as, as a nation. As a nation. And we as a nation got overwhelmed by that. Okay. Uh, And so being able to empathize versus this kind of blaming or my trauma is worse than your trauma, you know, you were, you were right there, you, you you were dealing with financial people on a day to day basis, you know, people compared to what I was going through. Who were killed, yes. Yeah, who died.
0: And so these events that we're just talking about 9 11, how does that take us now to COVID times and where we are uh, today, right? Are we then carrying those unresolved traumas from our past? and then they are magnified by what we're feeling today with COVID and the political unrest and uh, the economy, uh, the questionability of it, the uncertainty and doubt. Is that coming, is that even enhanced more now?
2: I would say yes. I mean, those unresolved things get carried on and they get, when other events come up, much as Dr. Go is talking about, then they, they trigger old wounds. So now we're dealing with old ones and we're dealing with the new ones. So it gets compounded. Yes.
1: So the unifying um, force, I think, is feeling unsafe. And that in itself, just the feeling unsafe, forget about the blame, forget about anything else, just feeling unsafe. So we have COVID or, you know, the, the reporting of that um, as a trigger for we're not safe to start with. As individuals, we're not safe. Right. And then it becomes, well, how can we get safe? And then it becomes that there are things, there are ideas standing in the way of us getting safe. Right. So that's how I'm experiencing, at least understanding the collectivity of the trauma, that it becomes this complex relational issue. Like if I got mugged on the city street in Manhattan, then I don't feel safe. Then the next time I'm walking down the street, I've got eyes in the back of my head. So I think it's that safety factor that somehow, whether it connects to empathy or how we go about, how we go about not having that as, as, primary in our brains
2: well and I would dig even deeper I don't feel safe is it's kind of a nice way to say it (laughs) no I'm walking down the streets of Manhattan and pardon my I'll I'll, you can bleep this out but I'm effing terrified okay I'm scared shitless okay let's call it what it is it becomes that kind of dance that we do. Well, I don't wanna make it that bad. Instead of, and taking ownership for it. And I've had conversations with people. I mean, it really sucks. Even after people got vaccinated, you know, and then the variant started and you're out in a restaurant and you're going, my God, all these people could kill me or I could kill them. okay now in again a neurobiological level and much what you're talking about so that triggers things and now all of a sudden nobody so collectively what do i have to do well i'm over here terrified of everybody so it gets hard to get to that collective place unless we all go i live in fear i am scared okay not i don't feel safe yes But that is an outgrowth of my fear, my terror, my need to protect myself as an organism, okay, that that's where we start, not, well, we don't feel safe, no.
1: Right, I need to protect myself, so I have to separate myself from you, you Mm -hmm. all who are contributing to my inner terror. So what do I do? I separate myself further. I go home to be safe, home being, I, I hang out with those with whom I feel more comfortable. And what does that do? It separates me more from what used to be the normal, where I could go into a supermarket and, you know, and, and then I'm hanging out with my community. So,
0: And, and the, what happens is, as you're doing that, as you're describing this, um I picture, and then people move into the separation of ideology as well. So they're in the home by themselves, and they're focusing on the news that is fueling their side of thinking, and they continue to get separated more and more and more, right? So then the distance keeps spreading, and that's scary to me. That's really scary.
2: And there is, there is, I always like to, you know, sadly, sometimes as Americans, we are, we, we are terminally unique, okay? Like this only happens to us. I mean, if you, and there are a number of historians, sociologists, what we're seeing in this country is nothing new, okay? In response to pandemics or any kind of social unrest. Sadly, it's almost predictable. Uh, one of the things when we get scared is we look for people to blame. You're the cause of my fear. You're the, this, of uh, the, you know, it's your fault. It's China, it's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's vaxxers, it's anti-vaxxers, it's Antifa, it's probably, it's somebody. And we will pick somebody. It's Jews, it's blacks, it's, uh, it's women. I don't know, you know, pick whoever you want to pick. That that is a response to reduce my fear because if I can, control. If I can, make, if I can, exactly. I have control. If I can make you're the problem and I can alleviate that problem, I have control. It reduces my fear rather than so it's a it's a predictable pattern. Um, I was listening to a TED talk about collective trauma by. Uh, a minister who was in um, Southeast Asia, in Indonesia actually. In 1965, the president there started a whole thing about the PKI or terrorists and they killed almost a million people, okay? And so to get to your point, Dr. Gould, how do you deal with this? Is you have to have some point of reconciliation. There has to be this acknowledgement that this thing happened and this is how we respond to it okay so it's
1: really hard to think about reconciliation on a large scale level and so is there a way that we can make an equation between how we might as as individuals work with that dynamic so that we can better understand how we might use that with our families or in our sure. neighborhoods. I think that sure. would be probably our final, um, question or talking
2: point yes. with you. So how do we get past this? Everybody. Well, how do, how do we, how do we
1: begin thousand. to be, how do we begin to be on the road? Sure. Okay. Not okay. because we're not going to go directly to the goal, mm-hmm. but how do we begin to address the process?
2: Yeah. So I think one of the things that, that at least that I'm aware of, and there are some simple things, you know, you're talking about BB watching the news, what a great way to terrorize yourself. <laughs> you know, this person, that person, this group, that group, they were doing this around, whatever, I mean, what group. and your body will pick that sort of stuff up. So I think one of the things, and it's the hardest thing of all, is good self-care. Mm-hmm. What are you doing in terms of being present in the moment which is part of being present in the moment is we are living in these times that are anxiety producing they're stressful they're terrifying they're uncertain i need to start there so then what are the things quote that i really can't control so things like daily meditations quiet times uh those you Talk Dr. Gould, you know, the the biggest protective factor we have is social support. Now, that has gotten to be problematic with the pandemic. We can't do that. The vaccines help for a little bit. Now we got to wait for boosters and that sort of stuff. But for example, one of the things that I've done in my life, and I do the meditations and I do those kind of things. But I started a zoom meeting with I grew up in a real small town 1500 people. I reconnected with a group of those people at the heights of the pandemic we were getting together once a month via zoom. It was something to look forward to how are you holding up what's going on you know some of them live in California the fires were going on you know um, how are you holding up so, So creating those kinds of spaces where um, we can support each other um, and be with each other and, and share our stories, not to just whine and snivel, but when we can give voice to those kinds of things, that also changes our physiology. It also, the words that we use okay, is becomes really important, you know, that I need need to be connected to people. And, you know, for me as an introvert, that's a hard thing to say. It's like, I'd way rather be alone, okay? But the reality is I need to be connected to people. This pandemic brought that home to me. So now I begin to alter my life and move into the new normal. Um, so there, there are individual things that we can do.
0: And can Um, you, uh, speak to what, let's say art or music or nature or exercise? How, how are those things healing to us now?
2: Because they have the same power in a positive way that as you were talking about, Dr. Gould, certain smells, okay, walking in a ponderosa pine forest, Okay. You know, those have all kinds of positive associations inside of our bodies, certain kinds of music, okay, our bodies respond to is all those things can be what the body does in in a very positive way, it will associate with those things. So those can be incredibly helpful as well.
1: Incredibly helpful and partially because they bring us into presence. Yes. They take us out of wherever and bring us into presence. And so um, Barbara and I did a little piece on forest bathing in one of our books to come. Yes. And the fascinating thing there is that the chemicals act as medicine yes. inside of us. The fragrance and the textures and the um, humidity in the air is yes. actual medicine. So... Yes. And we know from research on music that it's the same kind of thing. We can alter our brain rhythms. So I think this is a really important um, piece for us to hang out with a little bit, because I do think that this is something that our listeners can definitely take away. And if we're feeling better inside ourselves and a little bit um, less activated, we may hopefully, be able to have gentler conversations yes. with others who may not be, may not share our perspective or our philosophy.
2: Right, and let me give you a, a, an example of how those kinds of things can be done collectively. And I'm not talking about you know, the political disputes, but one of the things we know, for example, survivors of the Holocaust, Now you think there's a trauma of traumas, okay? Um, Though the survivors didn't go into psychotherapy, they didn't go see a trauma therapist, they went to their synagogue, okay? Not saying everybody ought to go to church, but where people can begin to gather collectively and acknowledge their woundedness, not who's to blame for it or any of those kind of things. But to acknowledge that this happened and and acknowledge and that's it. <laughs> okay.
1: And that's what that's what happens in, in a, in a um, collective that's that's gathering around, let's just say, a religion, is that it's a perspective that's offered, that's way up there. It's right. not the perspective of the moment, but it's it's a huge perspective. And
2: it keeps me from being isolated, right. okay? Yes. I can hang out with, you know, trauma survivors, and now it's easy because I get to do it with everybody because we've survived this collective trauma. But if those where we're able to talk about it, you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm not alone, you know? I mean, I've been in groups where it's like, holy cow, there are 35 Michael Marxes in the room here. <laughs> <laughs> know oh good okay it doesn't change the trauma it doesn't change what happened but it changes me and it changed my view of it and it and it to come back to what we were talking about it gives new meaning to all those things for me individually and for those of us in the room collectively Uh, and those are the steps those are the steps towards healing
1: I just want to touch right before we end on the meaning issue, you know, somebody who could be, let's just say in a car accident, very mm-hmm. frequently will say it was a wake up call for me. Mm-hmm. So that's a very good example of how on a personal level, somebody might reinterpret a trauma.
2: Right.
1: Is it possible for us to do that on a collective level? I believe What's your so. Opinion? Yeah,
2: I believe so. I think of, uh, and I can't remember her name right off the bat, but for example, the woman who started Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, okay, it's probably the classic example, lost her 12-year-old daughter uh, in a wreck that was, she was killed by a drunk driver. And this woman has saved thousands of lives because of her work. Now, does it take away the trauma, the pain? No, I suspect if you ask the woman, she'd trade all that in for one more day with her daughter. Okay, so that level of pain doesn't go away, but she's able to. In in my field, we call it post-traumatic growth. We actually grow from it. Uh, it doesn't take away the trauma. It doesn't take away any of that kind of stuff. Okay, but I'm able to take that and, and in fact, grow from it. And I've, I tease people I work with as some of us even grow up to be psychologists, you know? <laughs>
0: Well, I think on this note, we will say thank you, Dr. Michael Marks, for sharing your time with us this morning. There's so much to learn about this topic of trauma, of collective trauma, of healing, the times that we're in. And we would love to have you back again on this program to ask another 25 questions at least. And uh, Dr. Andrea, any parting words before we sign off?
1: Like I just want to leave with the words um, "post traumatic growth" because there's hope, and I think that 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 growth is it's contingent upon all of us to imagine what that growth could be like for ourselves as individuals, and then later on somewhere in a conversation with others, what it might be like in a you know in a more collective way. So, thank you for giving us that word and um, thank you for being here with us. And we look forward to tapping into your mountain of information and um, knowledge again soon.
2: Be my pleasure. Take care, ladies.
1: Wow, that was an enlightening conversation, and I think a really good beginning. And I can only imagine that so many of our listeners would have even more questions and more comments
0: Yes, and I think you know it's a topic that it unfolds. And the more you know about it, the more you understand it, the more you can actually bring healing to yourself. Um, so I am so excited to be part of this and to learn about the experiences that Dr. Michael Marks had uh, given his long history of working with trauma patients and his expertise in it. Um, I always love talking about serious topics to experts, right? So uh, yes, most definitely. And we will uh, post additional comments and observations um, on our website, boomtalkmedia.com. We have a lovely blog page. We'll write more about this, but we also invite you listeners to contact us with thoughts and ideas and questions that you may have. And you can contact us at info at boomtalkmedia.com.
1: And what we'd like to specifically hear from you is what ways might you imagine that you personally have grown from this... If you want to say collective trauma that we've all experienced over the past number of years, how have you personally grown? And what we'd like to do is collect those ways and we'll do something very interesting with it. It's like collecting some ingredients for, uh, one of our next podcasts. How about that, Barbara? It sounds
0: perfect to me. Perfect. Please be in touch. We're immensely grateful to AARP Arizona for their support. Have a listen to the 30-second message from AARP about protecting yourself online in relation to dating scams. This problem is particularly daunting in these times of isolation and loneliness. Be careful out there. I matched with this cutie on a dating site.
1: We texted all the time, but never met up. Then he asked to send him gift cards for a plane ticket to see me. And that's when I remembered a tip I got from the AARP Fraud Watch Network. Gift cards? This is a romance scam. Spent that money on self-care instead. Recognize fraud sooner, so your money lives longer. The younger you are, the more you need AARP.